For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You are listening to Cisco Champion Radio, direct from Cisco Live. Sponsored by The Network Intuitive. This week's host, Justin Cohen. Good afternoon. This is Cisco Champions Radio at Cisco Live, episode three. Uh, the importance of flexible infrastructure. We're going to do an in-depth with uh, David Zacks today. Uh, my name is Justin Cohen. Uh, I'm from Longview Systems. My Twitter handle is at Cantech IT, and I have in front of me uh, David Zacks, who is my goodness. Your uh, your resume is impressive. Uh, you're a distinguished systems engineer, eleven-time distinguished speaker. You're in the Cisco Live Hall of Fame elite speaker. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, every, your sessions must be just full all the time. Yeah, I mean, they're fun, right? I, I, in my opinion, you know, prepping sessions for Cisco Live is a lot of work. Actually delivering the session when you get here and you get to deliver it to customers, that's a gas. That's a, that's a lot. That's the fun part. Yeah, and you know, the, the one, my favorite one that I always go to, and it's perfect for the people who are listening uh, who may not have seen it, go back and watch it, is the, the Cisco Enterprise Silicon delivering innovation for advanced routing and switching because... That's literally, I mean, that's the real nerdy stuff that you guys yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. Building those chips. And yeah. we heard about that with Peter the other day. But, for sure. Um, for people who want to know how you guys actually make the stuff inside, yeah. that is the perfect session to go uh, Absolutely. Peter and I have a, Peter and I have a ball doing that session every year. It's so much fun. Uh, and there's so much to talk about, right? So, so uh, like this time around, we're introducing uh, Cat9000, Cat9K, as with the Cat9K platform, um, one of the things that uh, we've introduced in there is the next generation of our chipset. Yes. The UADP 2.0 chipset. Peter talked a lot about that. But that's uh, incredible because it's foundation for the platform. And then we pile everything else on top of that and all the other innovations we've Well, built. you guys really created one, you, you created one architecture yeah. that expands it to multiple platforms. Right. And that's that whole single code base thing we've been hearing about, single, right? Not only single code base, but single ASIC. So one of the things that's so cool about 9300, 9400, 9500, the new Catalyst platforms you've introduced, is they all leverage the exact same forwarding chip. So they all leverage UADP 2.0. They all leverage iOS XE, open iOS XE, which is uh, not just the same uh, code version, but the actual same binary that's running on a stackable, that's running on a chassis, and it's running on a fixed aggregation switch. We've never, ever, ever done that before. Yeah, and, and for people who work in the software world, that means a bunch of things. It means more secure because we're yeah. not trying to secure multiple versions. It means reliability and we're not trying to make you know, less bugs. Yeah. This is a, a huge shift. And, and much easier to qualify, right? So you, now you qualify, if, you, if your kind of customer goes out and does a lot of testing, qualify image before you run them in production. A lot of customers like banks and you know, other financial oh, institutions, that's a good point. that kind yeah. of thing. Now you qualify one image, you can run it across all these platforms. Right, so they qualified on the 93, it's good in the 94, it's same image. The 95, same image. It's the same code. It's same the same chip. It's the exact same binary. It's the same right. chip, right? All we do is we put it into different form factors. So that is a huge revolution about what we're, what we're delivering and switching. It's one of the reasons we're so excited about Cat9K. Yeah, and, and the, the software capabilities within that platform, we've been hearing about the analytics at the edge. Rowan yeah. talked about that this yeah. morning. 
the ability to empower people to put all of these software things at the edge. Absolutely. And we don't even know what all of those are yet. No, well, that's the whole point. I mean, that's the cool thing. That, well, that, that's what you have to plan for when you build this whole concept of flexible infrastructure is we don't know what the future holds. I mean, I tell you what, most of my job is inside Cisco. I tend to look at the position I'm in right now. I work in the enterprise networks access team. And uh, my primary role is to look one to three plus years out and say, what do we need to be building now in terms of hardware and software that we're going to have to sell them, right? And so you have to have a crystal ball. Everybody's got a crystal ball, but you know what? Nobody's crystal ball works perfectly. Well, and Peter so, was say, Peter actually went one step further. He said, yeah. we're looking as far out as 10. Sure, five to, uh, right. but, but- We know but, we're not going to be accurate at 10, right? but we're going to look out at 10 sure. and then work our way back and try yeah. to get as accurate as we can. Right, so one of the things that we got to do is we, as we look at it that we you know, say, well, this is where we think it's going, then we have to scope it down to, well, what did we build? to help realize that future. But there's always gonna be things that come along that we don't think about. There's gonna be stuff, new protocols, new encapsulations, new functions. And so for example, when you take a look in Cat9K, not only did we build it on UADP 2.0, we also built it on a multi-core Intel processor. So one of the reasons that we did that, we don't need a multi-core Intel processor to run things like spanning tree and routing protocols and stuff like that. We could have run it on something a lot smaller. The reason we put that in is because we know that the future is going to be containerization onto network devices. We want to take uh, things like maybe StealthWatch, for example, containerize that functionality, place it down at the edge where it's closest to where the threats are. Right. So it can do local analytics. Yeah, network is a network as a sensor. Uh, network as a sensor, right. network as an enforcer, all of that. So we, so we basically overbuilt the CPU, we overbuilt the memory, so, and, and we're starting to realize the fruits of that. So one of the big things we announced here was encrypted threat analytics. Yes, that, Rowan spent a lot of time talking about yeah, that. Cool. Yeah, that was, that's really great. But we wouldn't be able to do it without the platform. You know, I, I tell my customers, they ask, what would it take for us to do SSL analytics for, for threat management? I tell everybody, it's, it's one to 10. It's 10 times the work to deal with SSL flows. Absolutely. And that's super expensive and you can't do it at the edge and you've yep. got to do it in a, just in a centralized place. Yep. This is, that's a huge leap forward. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that the Cat9K is delivering on at Cisco Live this year yep. is really the technical prowess of the... Um, the network intuitive message. Yes. Because you look at DNA last year, yeah. you know, there was a bunch of products underneath it, but DNA yep. was really an architecture. Sure. The network intuitive is not yeah. just marketing. Right. Th there is real uh, silicon behind this message. Absolutely. There's silicon, there's software, and there's a important, very important there's solutions we're putting on top of that, like SDA, right? When yeah. we talk about software-defined access, effectively we're building an entire solution, an entire infrastructure based on, based not just on Cat9K, but one of the really unique things we've done is if you go out and implement SDA as a solution, we made that backwards compatible onto every Cat3K we've ever sold. You could have bought the first 3850 off the line four and a half years ago, yeah. do a software upgrade on it, and you can run SDA. So you made a really good decision buying that platform. And you guys didn't, didn't really promise it. it. You weren't running out to no. the street and telling customers, hey, buy this 3850, and we promise you'll have new features like no. VXLAN and SDA and wireless. Right. But they got it anyway. They got it anyway. And that's you know. because we built that concept of this flexible base that we can now load new capabilities, load new functions on. You know, quite honestly, when we were developing uh, the UADP chip, VXLAN as a protocol hadn't even been invented. It hadn't been thought of. Nobody, no, nobody dreamed it up yet. But right. we're we've been shipping code for almost a year on so, Cisco.com. So customers, who, when hardware. did you ship the first 3850? Remind me. January 13th. January, January of 2013. January 20. So customers who bought a switch in 2013. Correct can implement SD access. Four and a half years later. Four and a half years later. Absolutely. On that same hardware. Right. 
And if they've got SmartNet, they can upgrade software and get the code and the, buy the licensing and away they go. Absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and, so, and so what other, who else in the industry can claim such a thing? We're it, pretty proud of this. It, it's a big evergreen story, right? Absolutely. It, it's keeping the hardware longer. You know, yeah. like Peter was saying, we want to keep stuff out to 10 years. Right. Customers want to keep their equipment to 10 years and sure. you guys are delivering sure. well, on think that. Ab- think about what Cisco is moving towards. Cisco is making this rotation, as our executives have said lots of times, towards being a software company. Yes. Well, what, but what does that mean? At the end of the day, you need hardware to run your network. What we're doing is we're effectively making this flexible hardware that we can load new software on top of and realize those functions at hardware delivered speeds. Companies are really serious about software should be making their own hardware. I, that's right? A, it's, a, it's an awesome quote. That's right? the, that's like, and, and remind me who that was from. Well, Steve Jobs said it when he introduced the iPhone 10 years ago. This yeah, year. but it was before that. Alan Kay. Alan Kay, that's originally, right. Originally came from Alan Kay and... Um, you know, the reason that he said people that really care about software should build their own hardware is because what he realized is that it's a fusion of the two things. Just like, for example, when you see Apple's executives standing on stage, you see Tim Cook and you see Phil Schiller standing up on stage introducing a new iPhone 7. Right. They talk about the A10 processor. They talk about the M10 motion coprocessor. They talk about the, the W1 yeah. chip yeah. that's in their headphones because it's all part of delivering that continuous experience, and it's the same for us. So let's, so let's talk about how we go into the software. So you guys built this ridiculously flexible platform in the 9K right. yeah. that has a ton of future-proofing in it, and you guys yeah. have added extra RAM and extra space so you yeah. can do all these future things. Mm-hmm. But now we have... DNA center mm-hmm. and the network intuitive components right. that are going to give people that single click thing that we right. saw on the keynote. Absolutely. And so how does that how does that get designed for you guys? I mean, we have this flexible infrastructure. Yeah. But how does that work with the design team? How, so, how do they come to you and say, hey, we want to do this? Right. Because you, you're getting so, software guys and hardware guys to work together. How do you well, do well think, think about it this way, right? Um, I'll compare it to something else that everybody is, is really familiar with, right? Everybody drives a car. Everybody's familiar with a car, right? So when I sit down as a driver in my car, the car has an immense amount of electrical and mechanical complexity, just like we have a lot of complexity in networks, right? But when I sit down in my car as a driver, I'm abstracted away from almost all the complexity that the car has. I'm presented with a couple of pedals on the floor, a shifter, a steering wheel, a basic dashboard. I get in and drive. And what I'm doing is I'm signaling my intent to the car. For example, I I put the gearbox in reverse and I step on the gas. I'm signaling to my car that it's my intention to back up, right? My car translates my intention into all the underlying electrical and mechanical actions to make that happen, right? That's how what we believe the future of networking needs to move towards is this concept of intent-based networking. You're going to see all over the show and Chuck talked about, right? So the the key concept there is we want people to be able to express intent into the environment, express that into a tool like DNA Center, and just like Jean-Luc Picard on the dead bridge of Starship Enterprise, when you'll press a button and make it so. Make it so. Yeah, and you know, one of the things we talk about in my organization is we talk about elevating the conversation. We talk about technology with our customers. People Mm -hmm. generally run to the speeds and feeds. Mm -hmm. We say elevate the conversation. Let's talk about business. Let's talk about what that customer needs. So we look at what you guys are doing with intent-based networking, programming intent, which is programming what I want. Um, yes. A really great saying I've heard for years is, a computer will do what you tell it to do. Right. And that may be something completely different from what you had in mind. Right. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And, and networks are no different. They're no different. But now, if we can truly tell our network, Absolutely. this is what I need, and it sure. knows how to go and figure it out. Yep. Absolutely. And, and if you rewind, last year, um, we did a tech field day session with you guys about yep. EasyQoS yep. And, and, and those types of features in the yes. APIC. Yes. That was like a, just a little nibble of what yep. was coming to yep. be able to see 
are we getting what we want and to be right. able to program intent. Yeah, so, so intent is a big, a huge part of what we're doing. Another big part I'd take a look at is what we're doing in SDA. So one of the things that we're doing in software defined access is you talk about elevating conversation. That's absolutely what we want to do in SDA. So one of the things that we do is, uh, I, I'm, the way that I normally explain SDA to people is a little bit different than the way a bunch of other folks explain it. Um, a lot of other people who are talking about software-defined access, which is a huge thing we're launching here at Show, taking advantage of all our flexible infrastructure. The SDA, a lot of people will start telling you how it's built. They'll tell you, you know, it's using Lisp, it's using VXLAN, it's doing all these things, it offers these capabilities. But I like to start out with why we're, we built SDA in the first place. So software-defined access, one of the, th the way that I normally explain it to people is I talk about policy. So policy to me is a very abstract word that can mean almost anything you want it to mean, right? And I, I'm half Irish, I'm half Irish, half Russian, Canadian. And um, so I like my meat and potatoes. I like things boiled down, right, to the, the simplest things. And the reality is that we use policies all the time in networking. We use security policies if we've got ACLs, if we've got QoS implemented network, classifying different apps into different buckets, into different queues, then we've got a QoS policy. But the big problem that we have today is that all of the policies that we use in networks all over the place are all intimately tied to your IP address. For example, when you write an ACL, you are literally enumerating your addressing structure into the ACL, right? Yep. And so, so why is that a problem? Well, when you take a look at it, this is, and, and another aspect to this is that uh, we use VLANs today as a mechanism to implement policy. You're putting voice in your network, carve a bunch of voice VLANs. You're putting IoT in your network, carve a bunch of VLANs for your door locks and your badge readers and all the point of sale terminals and everything you put on a network. And what this leads to is that customers today have networks that have hundreds or thousands of VLANs in them. They have ACLs that are hundreds or thousands, some cases tens of thousands of lines long, that are so big and complex that they can't maintain them anymore. Those at lines in ACL? Yeah, let alone troubleshoot them. Right. Let alone troubleshoot them. Yeah, they, they look at this and they go, well, this ACL has lines in it that I didn't put in. They were put in by yeah. some other guy five years ago. I don't know what they do. I'm not going to remember I'm it. afraid to take it out. I'm yeah. just going to add on to it. So what we end up doing is we've piled complexity on complexity on complexity. And then the other aspect of this is that our network technologists are faced with a constant job of translation. So for example, uh, the business comes to them and says, I want to put all these cameras on the network, right? Come on, IT guys, you know, make, make this happen. Now the person, the, a network technologist has to take out and translate that requirement into the language of VLANs and subnets and ACLs and VRFs and QoS and everything else that they have to implement in the environment to, to realize that outcome. So every once in a while, when you're taking a look at inventing new stuff, which we did a couple, of, took a look at this a couple of years ago, we said, well, you know, sometimes you gotta take a step back and ask yourself a what if question. What if my IP address didn't have to be tightly coupled to my policy? What if I can in fact completely decouple my IP address from my policy? So what that would mean, for example, uh, is that your IP address would just be a way to find you in the layer three network. Just like your MAC address is a way to find you on a layer two switch, right. your IP address just becomes a way to find you as you roam around in the IP network, but it's not tied to your policy in any way. In other words, you could be at 10.10.10.5, I could be at 10.10.10.6 in terms of our IP addresses. Yep. We could have the same policies or totally different policies in terms of what we're able to access and even our identities embedded into the data plane of the network. And, and we do that with and VXLAN. We, and, we can limit, and we can limit our communication even though we're on the same layer two network? Absolutely. Right, so now we're talking about micro-segmenting 
individual users. Microsegmenting down to individual users or groups of users or devices or things, and in fact having two levels of segmentation, a macro level of segmentation based on VRFs, virtual networks, and a micro level of segmentation with SGTs, being able to combine them. But most importantly, through DNA Center, you know what the hardest part of creating a virtual network with DNA Center is? What's that? Figuring out what name you're going to give it. <laughs> the actual doing of it is completely anticlimactic. You go in and you say, add new virtual network, give it a name, and click create. We take care of automating everything, everything so, underneath that. So you're, we're talking about intent, and, and, and I, I want to drill down a little bit, because one of the questions someone's going to have is, we're talking about intent-based networking that's driven on context. Yes. Right? Okay, so let's okay. move from intent to context for a second. Yeah. So now we're saying we're going to identify users not by IP address, not by MAC address. Right but by their context. By their, by their identity. Right. How are we doing that? Because for the oh, really okay. technical so, people yeah. listening, sure. they're going to go, well, hold on a second. If I'm yeah. not doing it by IP or by yeah. Mac. What's my identifier? How do we do that? So this is one of the reasons why with SDA, we build out a fabric, and that fabric data plane is based on VXLAN. There's really three, three major technical constructs that, that software-defined access consists of. We have a LISP control plane. I'll explain why we use LISP in a second. We have a VXLAN data plane. And we have TrustSec or Cisco TrustSec SGTs as a policy plane. So the VXLAN data plane. In the VXLAN header, we have space to carry a 16-bit SGT field. We have space to carry a 24-bit virtual network field. So effectively, when a device or a user or a thing authenticates into a network, we figure out who or what they are. Let's say we use 802.1x, for example, to uh, authenticate the device. We're authenticating against ICE, our AAA server. It comes back with an identity. That identity is your SGT and your virtual network, which the user or device is unmapped into. And then that's carried with every single packet that device sends in the data plane. So that, you know, that, that is a bit of a quantum shift, though, to be Absolutely. fair. Absolutely. Not every, hope so. Not every customer on the floor walking around here is running 802.1x sure. at the edge. And, and but, I'll but be we, fair, I don't think a lot of them are. Well, I, I, I partially agree with you and partially disagree with you. I'd say in wireless, almost everybody uses .1x. .1, 802.1x is prevalent in wireless. 802.1x in wired is not very prevalent today. Right. So, but, but it's not right. In wireless, it's, it's all over the place. Right. But I didn't mean to imply that .1x was the only authentication method we employ. Right. We, right. we, we support .1x. Right. We support static port authentication. We support Active Directory authentication. So if you have a device that only authenticates AD and, against AD and doesn't have a .1x supplicant on it, we support that. So what, what we okay. do is we have an AD connector. So when you authenticate against AD, there's an yep. AD connector. AD will inform ICE that this user just authenticated. Here's the user. Here's the group. Here's the IP address. But to AD, it has no idea where you live in a network. Yeah, right? see, so that, that's really key information for people who are like, oh, I want this, but sure. do I have to do .1x? Do I have to like no. go through all this? So that's cool. So now we can tell it we want to use AD for authentication. Yep. It'll push it to ICE. Absolutely. ICE will inform. Go down and inform the network switch. The network. Absolutely. And then, yes. You're good. Absolutely. That, so, so we support cool. multiple. We can, you know, uh, there's other things we can do as well. In future, we can do things like ICE device profiling. Right, being able to profile a device, interrogate the device, figure out what it is, and uh, you know, drop you into appropriate group based on that. So there's lots of ways we'll expand this. What you're seeing now with SDA is us coming out of the starting blocks with software-defined access. You're not, you're not right. seeing the end state of where we're going to end up at the, you know, the, the end, end of uh, you know, uh, the, the everything we're building. You're seeing us come out of starting blocks with it. And I, and I think the key here is we got to make this simple. Yeah. I, I, I agree with what you said earlier. We're reaching an inflection point in networking where things are so complex with giant yeah. ACLs and, and massive configurations. Absolutely. We can't do this in the CLI by hand anymore. Nope. I, 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 
I know a lot, a lot of my friends out there are like, oh my God, I live by the CLI, I have to have it. Well, we're not taking it away. Right. I mean, if you, So if, that's if, a key message, right? If you, if you want to keep using the CLI and that's working for you, we're yep. not taking anything away. What we're right. doing is giving you additional options. And we actually think, based on reaction I've seen from customers here at the show and other customers we've talked to, um, I think customers are going to be really receptive to this. Because a lot of people look, I, I can tell you that when I, when I tell that, that uh, story about you know uh, huge ACLs and lots of VLANs and stuff, I look out at people's faces that I'm talking to and they're nodding their heads. They're going, yes, I have that problem and I wish I could solve that problem. Yeah. Right? Because maintaining all of that in the infrastructure is really just busy work. So, so for, the net, for the people watching the network intuitive program and looking at what, what's going on, right. key message, we're not taking your CLI away. We're not, we're not, we're taking, not it taking it away. We're not taking it away, but what we're going to do is augment it. So one of the other things you see us doing in the infrastructure is a big emphasis on Yang models and NetConf. And so people look at that and go, well, why would I program my router? Why would, you know, if I'm a CLI jockey, why would I program my router using NetConf and Yang models? And the answer is you probably wouldn't. But the reason we're developing that is not for human-to-machine interaction. I mean, the CLI is effectively an API sure. that's designed for human-to-machine interaction. It's actually pretty good at that, but it's lousy for machine-to-machine interaction. Yeah. How many times have you done expect scripts, and then we change something in the CLI input or output, and your expect script breaks, right? So yeah. as we move towards this fully automated environment, we don't want to be automating things using the CLI as the underlying construct. That's why we have a focus on moving towards NetConf or RESTConf and standardized Yang data models because they're awesome for machine-to-machine communication. Right, so DNA Center and, and all the things running uh, the new, this new network intuitive, you're not going in and typing CLI commands by hand. You guys are using real APIs to do it. Yes. Um, it's not, not the old school way. It's, right. it's not like cat tools. I mean, it's, this right. is real automation. Yes. It has, it, has, it has to be, uh, because the problem with standard, you know, just using a CLI is, because that's all we've used in the past, is you'd, you know, you'd write a script that would go down and manipulate the CLI or do screen scraping in the device. It, it's functional, but it breaks easily. It's very fragile. It breaks a lot. Yeah, it's very fragile. Yeah. And we can't, so as we move into this fully automated world, we need to have proper automated software tools that we're manipulating our devices through. That's why we have a focus on NetConf and Yang. So let's, let's talk real quick about the building blocks, right? Mm -hmm. So today, I don't have a network. I'm building a new location. And I say, I want this new yep. network intuitive architecture in my premises. Yep. I've decided I'm going to put 9300s mm -hmm. you know, in my closets, yep. maybe some 94s in the, you know, for some distribution if I want. Mm -hmm. And then we've got our data center above that. Yep. What, do, what do the building blocks look like so that people can understand what those blocks look like? Sure. So I'd say that if we can take a look at this from a Cat 9K point of view. Okay. Uh, the first decision you'd make at the access layer is, do I want modular or do I want stackable? Right? Right. And there's people that are in both camps, right? Oh, some, yeah. some people are, are, are uh, very much tied to modular architecture. Other people are in love with stackables. We've got both, right? And there's arguments for both. Right, there's arguments, yeah. for, there's arguments for both, and we've made improvements on both. So, for example, one of the things that we did in the 9400, our next-gen modular, um, is we retained a lot of the good stuff that was in the Cat, Cat 4K and then built on top of that. So one of the things, for example, in the Cat 4K, Cat 4500, previous generation, uh, you would take a look and you'd have to decide up front 
in the Cat 4K if you want to buy a box that has redundant supervisor capacity. Right. Or not. Yes. Yeah. But we didn't want people to do that with the 9400. So the four slot, the seven slot, and the 10 slot models are all redundant soup capable out of the gate. Now you can choose to only put one supervisor in it if you want. But if you want to put in two supervisors, take advantage of ISSU, take advantage of the capabilities that are there that will come on the box. You know, the, the 9400 is, is awesome for that, right? Right. Now, other people are very much believers in stackables, and that's awesome. So we've got 9300, which we're building on kind of the heritage of what we had in 3850 and 3650, but doing a plus-plus on top right. of that, right? So we've introduced uh, greater capacity. We've introduced M, many more M-gig ports in the platform. Uh, we've introduced enhanced PoE capabilities. Um, you know, basically increased everything across the board. It, it's it's no surprise, being that Peter works so closely with you, that there's yeah. MGIG all over the 94 portfolio. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No surprise well, whatsoever. Well, we think MGIG, and we're starting to see MGIG now actually expand out, interestingly, beyond just things like access points. So, for example, yeah. Apple's latest line of iMac desktops yep. that they came out with have MGIG built in. They have one, 2.5, 5, and 10. Uh, uh, MGIG under uh, built-in Ethernet. Yeah, and I'm an old telecom guy, so I really look at the MGIG thing and I go, that is a great technology. Yeah, Because it, it figures out what my cabling is and what I can support. And absolutely. if anybody who hasn't read that uh, yeah. or seen MGIG, we have a bunch of other episodes we've recorded. Yeah. There's TechWise TV you guys have absolutely. done on it. Yes. Um, there's lots of media out there, so people yep. can check out that. And, and then the other switch you consider as part of portfolio would be like 9500. Right. So the 9500 is kind of our next-gen a fixed aggregation platform. A lot of people compare it to 4500X and say, well, this is kind of the evolution of the 4500X. Again, based on the same UDP 2.0 chipset, uh, but increased capacity, right? So we have like a 12 port 40 gig, we have a 24 port 40 gig, we have a 40 port 10 gig, and those densities are really interesting to me, right? So we position this as kind of a fixed aggregation, but I can tell you that, you know, we take a look at and have taken a look at the data for a lot of places where we've sold, let's say, Cat6Case into an aggregation point in the network. The most common, uh, the most common set of ports that people buy on a Cat6K when you're using it in that distribution layer uh, position in the network is 32 times 10 gig. So here I've now got a pizza box style form factor yeah. that's 40 times 10 gig. So it could actually potentially even replace a, you know, distribution core. My, my building distribution points are now going to be a 1U box with a bunch of fiber going into it with some 40 uplinked back to the data right. center. It could be, it could be a whole it. bunch of 10, could be a whole bunch of 40. Right. The other interesting thing to think about is how network design itself actually changes as we move towards a fabric. The way that we have always traditionally built networks is we've always had you know, a whole bunch of access layer switches down here that are dual up linked to a pair of distributions. And we are, we're almost kind of genetically hardwired in the networking space to think about a distribution that way. But it doesn't have to be that way. So for example, if you are implementing a fabric environment, if you're putting a fabric into place in the network, one of the things that you, that you see is that everything from access to, access to distribution links are entirely routed links. As soon as you hit that first hop switch in your access wiring closet, we are routing across the uplinks. Now, it doesn't mean you can't stretch a subnet. You can absolutely stretch a subnet across multiple wiring closets and fabric, but we're not doing it by stretching the layer two in a traditional sense, right? We give you stretch subnet capability without extension of layer two domain. Now, uh, a property here that you think about is, well, then my distribution layer switches, I'm just doing ECMP routing from my access to distribution. So if I need more capacity, why do I have to put a line card into a modular switch at distribution? Why can't I just add a third modular switch or a fourth modular switch yeah. to get more capacity? 
in that environment. So it changes the thinking about how we actually design our architecturally. More, it, it's more like different. a spine, right? Yeah, more like a more like a spine. Right. So so the, so the customers deploy. They're going to deploy the nine K. That that's they've decided what they're doing there. What's the next building blocks that they need? So it all depends on the network, right? So so what you would typically look at from that point. There are other things that are part of software defined access. So a lot of customers, as you climb higher in the network, will already have. 6880s, 6840s, Nexus 7700s, they will have those platforms in place. Those platforms can play as part of what we're building in SDA. So can the ASR 1000. So for example, when you get out to the WAN edge and you're talking about an ASR 1000X platform, uh, that can play as part of SD access. If you've got ISR 4400s, they can be part of the SD access solution as we build the, the whole component together. So in order we don't to just do want to make this about new boxes, we want to make it about existing boxes. Well, of course. So in order to deploy SDA to those boxes, what software components do they need? We need DNA Center. Do we, so we, that, that's an application that's going to run on a server. Yes. It's right? going to run on an APIC-EM. It's going to run on an APIC-EM. Oh, runs on an APIC-EM. Yes. So, so it's an app that we run on that's existing right. APIC-EM. Yeah, talk about DNA Center because that's what we want people interacting with. Right. It is functionally an app that runs on top of the APIC-EM server. And then from an ICE perspective, and, and a lot of people were wondering this, is ICE mandatory? Yes, it So is. that's a key message. That yeah, ICE, ICE, is is, ICE is mandatory, but it doesn't mean that we can't provide integration with other AAA if the customer has it. So for example, there's a bunch of customers out there who have third-party AAA. They might have something like, for example- Use Microsoft NPS. Or they might be using ClearPass, or right. you know, they might be using Forescout. We can integrate right. with those systems. What we do is we tra separate out the three A's in AAA. So we have, an a we have authentication, we have authorization, we have accounting as part of AAA. Right. So if you're using third-party AAA, let's say uh, ClearPass, for example, what we do is we front-end the authentication message that comes out from the client through ICE. So ICE is still mandatory. ICE will devolve the authentication component over to ClearPass. ClearPass will say, you know, basically whether this user is allowed on the network or not, assuming that they are, the authorization, in other words, which group they're mapped to, which SGT, is handled by ICE. So we just separate the functions. So we're really creating, so, so really the building blocks are pretty simple. Mm -hmm. APIC-EM, mm -hmm. ICE, mm -hmm. Your, your Cat 9K, mm -hmm. you've got SD access. Yeah, the and a super flexible infrastructure. The only other component that will come into that that will ship later this year will be Network Data Platform, which right. will bring in NDP. So NDP will provide the analytics capability that helps us pull back streaming telemetry, telemetry from underlying infrastructure to understand how the infrastructure is performing. Yeah, so that'll be the third leg of Yeah, so we definitely are going to have to get you back on to talk about that because sure. last year we talked about easy QoS yep. and talked about quality of experience. And, and we don't even talk about quality of service anymore. Yep. We talk about quality of experience because really that's the yep. only thing that matters. Yep. And being able to program business intent into our quality of service that we were doing with EasyQuas is really cool. It is. Um, that was our first example, and it really right. resonated. But being able to va validate it is more important. Absolutely. Right? I need to know that not only have I programmed that, that intent in there and that yep. we've programmed the quality of experience we want, but my end users are getting that experience. Yeah, absolutely. Is it working? Yeah, is, is, it work? it, is it working as intended? That's a, you know, there are questions like that that NDP is designed to allow us to ask, and even way more sophisticated questions because part of NDP is a machine learning component so that we can actually un not only pull back telemetry from an underlying network, normalize the data, understand how the baseline of the network is performing so we can spot deviations from that baseline that right. might be an indication of a security threat 
Come How does that relate to Stealth Watch, though? Because that's kind of Stealth Watch's game, right? Sure. They look for outliers in the network. Absolutely. You, uh, over time, you'll see these components start to come together. So are they all going to feed in a, into DNA Center? I mean, because yes. Stealth Watch feeds into DNA Center. That's our intention. Right? As so a, NDP as well. That's our intention. Okay. So DNA Center should be your single pane of glass for influencing the network, and then it'll have various components that it talks to underneath that to realize the functionality that's required. Because there's no way we can make one management application for everything. That's just uh, never going to happen. It's, uh, it's not realistic. It's never happened so far in the industry, and one of the reasons right. for it is because if you try and do everything in one tool like that, it becomes very, very unwieldy. So what we want to do is we want to be able to move things at the speed of software. So that means that we have, right. you know, one of the ways that software becomes more flexible is through componentization. And if you think about it from an architectural point of view, it's effectively what we're doing is componentizing these different functions. Yeah, that it, and, and the interface looks good. We saw some screenshots in the keynote earlier today. Yep. And, you know, one of the tweets I made was the uh, the un the uncanny resemblance of some of those screens to our to our friends over in the Meraki team is sure. uh, undisputable. That's a good thing. Which, by the way, is a good thing because a lot of us have been saying for a long time, hey, enterprise guys, if you want to know how to make a really easy to use interface, yeah. go talk to the Meraki team because yeah. they have it figured out. Absolutely. And and you know they've been programming by intent, mm -hmm. you know, to a certain extent and, yep. and doing you know applying yep. policies against computers. Absolutely. For a long time. Yes. Now they do it on a smaller scale. Right. So let's be fair. Sure. For the larger enterprise, that's yeah. a bigger thing to yeah, do. Yeah, larger enterprise, bigger scale, different functions that are needed, more yeah. complexity. But at the same time, what we really need to do is provide that level of abstraction. I mean, we need, we need yeah. to move networks. Going back to a car example, the way that people drive networks today, forgetting SDA and all the new stuff we've announced, the way that people traditionally drive networks is the same way you would have driven a car in the 1930s and 1940s, where you had to know everything about the car to drive it, and it probably would have been a really good idea to be a mechanic so you could fix it if it broke down. Yeah. We got to move networks from that up into the 21st century, ultimately by creating this idea of automation in the network, pushing out automated configs, pulling back streaming telemetry, analyzing that, applying machine learning, we have the opportunity to close the loop in this environment so that one of the things that like we, we will automate the infrastructure monitor it to see if it's behaving according to your intent if it's not what we'll do initially is we'll pop up a dialog box saying you know we recommend these actions would you like us to take those to fix it and you get to click okay or, or cancel but our hope is after clicking okay 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 for a couple of years you're going to click the checkbox below that that says always fix it this way and once you've right. done that, you've created a closed-loop system. And now we can automate it. Right. The no, truly no. self-defined, right. self-defending, self-provisioning right. network is so, where we're going with automation. Right. Now, nobody builds their network like that today. Today, that's science fiction. But a couple of years from now, if we do our job properly, we have the opportunity to realize that vision. And that's, and that's where security is going to be a huge component. Absolutely. Because we need to get to an automated world of security where yep. we're reducing false positives because no one likes that. But we're reducing the attack surface for right. people to come in, right? And that's a that's a slippery slope. Uh, and and that's and so reducing the attack surface, and then being able to spot threats. That's where the the stuff we announced with ETA, encrypted traffic analytics, is so exciting, because one of the challenges that we see today is that more and more and more and more applications are becoming encrypted over the enterprise network. Right now, those may, might be legitimate applications. And so one of the things we can use ETA for, for legitimate applications, is what we call cryptographic compliance. So for example, if you're a bank, you might say, well, my policy is I have to be use, using this TLS version with this crypto suite, and you know, but your, the reality is your browser that you're using in a bank, your Chrome browser or what have you, yeah. offers support for 60 different crypto right, suites. It doesn't care. So how do you know 
that you are in compliance with that. So one of the things we can do is we can use encrypted traffic analysis to figure out if cryptographic compliance, but the big use case that really resonates with everybody is this concept of encrypted malware detection. Yes. Because malware authors have gotten smart. They're actually encrypting their traffic so that a simple pattern match within a network Actually, they're, they're doing tunneled encryption. Right. So they're actually encrypting it inside an encrypted blob, inside an encrypted blob, right. inside you know, something else. And so this, that way it's even harder to get sure. that far. And, and trying to win that battle by decrypting this stuff is a never-ending arms race. That's, yeah. a, that's an arms race until the end of time. You know, do we get better at decrypto? They get better at crypto. We get better at decrypting it, they get better at encrypting it. So instead of doing that, we said, well, why don't we change the game? Why don't we change it so that I don't care about decrypting it. What I'm looking for is behaviors in the network. We're literally what we do in ETA is we uh, do two things. We do what we call IDP, initial data packets. So we basically punt the first 10 packets of each flow for analysis within the box. Within, uh, when we take a look at initial data packets, we'd actually pick out a lot of stuff. Like we can figure out what crypto suites are in use from that. We can uh, intuit, is this legitimate or non-legitimate types of traffic? For example, if we see an open SSL encryption suite that's in use, that's probably a signal that this might, this, this might, be, might be suspicious. Then the other thing that we do is we do what's called sequence of packet lengths and times, SPLT. So with SPLT, what we do is we take a look at how long the packets are, what the intervals or the gaps between the packets are, and which direction they're flowing. From that, we can literally create a fingerprint of the app where we can say, okay, that fingerprint looks like somebody doing a Google search. This fingerprint over here looks like somebody doing, like a, some sort of malicious Trojan that's exfiltrating data from the network. Yeah, this is not simple fingerprinting. This is not five-tuple. This is... Yeah. This is a serious amount of technology that you this guys have developed to, yes. to figure this out and Absolutely. to be able to capture this malware stuff yes. uh, in, in real time. So we have some of our smartest guys in Cisco that invented this. And, and so, for example, one of our inventors on that talks a lot about it here. is a guy named J.P. Vasur. There yep. was a session this morning that was given by one of our distinguished engineers, Sarav Radhakrishnan, where he went through chapter and verse how we built ETA and why we built it and what it accomplishes. Oh, so that's a good one for the security that's guys awesome, to, go on, to go on Awesome watch. session, yes. So I think that was BRKCRS uh, 1560, if I'm not wrong. I'll look it up in a yeah, second. Some, yeah, I, yeah, so it's in the catalog. People can go and Absolutely, look, yeah. look up that what it yeah. is. Well, um, Dave, you, you've said it all. I know there's a lot more you know, to say. There's a lot more to say, but we, we only have we only have so much time and we're gonna do multiple sessions and people sure. are gonna be able to join the join and listen to the other CCR sessions. But I, uh, I hope what, what we're communicating between myself and Peter and all the other speakers that come in is the level of excitement and passion that we have around this. It, it comes think, it comes right out of you guys, it really does. We think right? we're we think we're doing something hugely significant in the industry and we've been I guess one of the reasons we're so excited about it is we've been positioning ourselves for this for a while. Yep. The, the platforms, the, the, the flexible hardware, the infrastructure, the software capabilities, how we've been changing iOS, and finally it's all come together to this to this sweet spot with a lot of stuff we're introducing here. Yeah. Which is, I mean, we're so excited to get this out the door. You know, and you guys have been so quiet, and, and I've known you and Peter for like a bunch of years, and you guys built the 3850 platform, and... You know, you guys were going, look at this awesome platform we have. And we're going, what else are you guys doing? Because we know you're not sitting at the office yeah. on your hands. Yeah. So this truly has been a multi-year thing for you guys to build. And, and congratulations on launching it. Yeah. We're really looking forward to seeing what else you guys do with well, it. Well, it's early, it's early days. It is I early mean, days. It's early days for Cat9K. It's early days for SDA. Yep. And where I'm trying to spend the majority of my time right now 
is what's the next wave of innovation we got to drive on top of this. That's cool. So Cisco Enterprise Silicon delivering innovation for advanced routing and switching. Yep. That's a total nerd session. Yep. And then the evolution of the enterprise network. Yes. Um, that one's a great one. Yep. I, I recommend people just go to the catalog, look up your name, Dave Zaks, yep. look up Peter, look up all, yep. of the, all of the distinguished speakers that are on this topic and go ahead and watch those. Yep. Um, listen to the other CCR sessions that we have. Absolutely. Um, and uh, there were some great questions asked this morning at Tech Field Day. Absolutely. So they can go to techfieldday.com and watch Absolutely. those. Yeah, so, those are all going on YouTube. There's so much content that people can get on the Network Intuitive. Absolutely. And uh, we really appreciate you coming down to talk to us today. No problem. So Glad to. That, uh, that wraps it up for Cisco Champion Radio at Cisco Live Episode 3. And we'll see you guys on the next one. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cisco Champion Radio Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.